Welcome to Software Security Chat Chat 216.5 for the 2nd of October 2015. I'm Chester Wisniewski coming to you live from Prague, Czech Republic at the Virus Bulletin 2015 conference. The 25th such conference, how time flies, hey? I wasn't at the first one, which was in Jersey. That's Jersey in the Channel Islands, not New Jersey. But I was at the 1994 one, which was also in Jersey. And uh, it was all about viruses then, whence the name of the conference, of course. But there's a lot more to it these days, isn't there, Chester? Absolutely. Uh, you know, there's, the, the, the security community has broadened greatly. Even though the conference is still titled Virus Bulletin, uh, there's many people here from all sorts of parts of the security industry, not just uh, antivirus vendors, and uh, you know, from from the likes of of Microsoft to testing companies to exploit mitigation companies, all sorts of stuff, and and some you know even just regular everyday people that are just simply interested in security and want to get into the deep end of the pool and and see what's happening in our business. Just looking at the website, the key themes are not just malware and anti-malware tools, but also mobile hacking vulnerabilities, spam, social network security, and even much lower level network security. So that's a good sign, isn't it? It shows that even though malware is where crooks make most of their money these days, people who in the past would have been into antivirus research are actually painting with a much broader defensive brush. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the truth of the matter is uh, no one these days is an antivirus vendor. We're sort of, you know, you can call us enterprise security, you can call us whatever you like, but the truth of the matter is we're anti-bad stuff. And that bad stuff includes, you know, social trickery, it includes malware, it includes all sorts of different threats. And we're all getting together to try to get great minds to work together and, you know, come up with solutions to these problems the best we can. Now, the keynote address this year was by someone that you wouldn't traditionally associate with the anti-malware scene, Professor Ross Anderson from the University of Cambridge. And uh, he spoke quite a bit about EMV, uh, chip and pin, didn't he? And you didn't 100% agree with the, the way he presented, even though his stats are hard to argue with because he knows an awful lot about it. Yeah, uh, to say uh, that he's an expert in EMV is probably an understatement. I'm not sure there's anybody in the world that necessarily knows more about the security of EMV. And of course, by EMV, we're referring to Eurocard, MasterCard, and Visa, which are uh, the the chips that are on most payment cards in the world. And, and I've noticed more and more of my American friends starting to see those chips coming on their cards as well. So we can we can state that with a little bit more ubiquity than we used to. And that EMV technology is a little controversial, and, and that's what Professor Anderson was uh, here to speak to us about. Many of the design compromises or even mistakes that were made in uh, making those chips secure and how those flaws can be exploited by criminals and, in fact, are being exploited by criminals. My only personal disagreement with Professor Anderson is simply people are, are being inundated, I guess, with negative messages about uh, the introduction of these chips because they are, in fact, imperfect. To quote Voltaire, uh, perfect is the enemy of the good. And, and at this point, we see rampant theft of magnetic stripe data using point-of-sale RAM scrapers and modified payment terminals, especially in countries that don't yet have the EMV technology. And the introduction of EMV f shifts that fraud into other areas because it makes it a lot more difficult. Professor Anderson's points that it can still be scammed, uh, and I think his major concern, which I do share, is that the banks try to put the uh, onus of proving that that fraud was not your fault when it happens to you on the consumer, 
because the assumption is, well, the chip is secure. It can't be that it was a crook, right? It had to be you. And of course, Professor Anderson's research shows that's not true. So we do need to keep that in mind. But I think the chip technology is a great deterrent. Well, I think what that's sort of saying is there's a consumer protection angle here. That I think it, it's up to countries' consumer protection ombudsman or whatever to go out there and make sure that the banks aren't able to get away with terms and conditions that are based on a fallacious assertion of perfection. We got that in the early days of ATM cards and pins, didn't we? And Ross Anderson did a lot of research and even legal cases about that to show that the idea that, well, if your pin got compromised, it must have been because you told somebody else, which you're not supposed to do. And he was able to show back in the day, in the 1990s, that that was not always the case. And indeed, nothing is perfect. But that doesn't mean that uh, it's not an awful lot better than what we had before. Yeah, that, that, that's precisely uh, what I was thinking as well, Duck. And, and uh, I think the, the liability issue is something that we need to address. Uh, I don't know about you, but when I use anything with a pin, whether that's an ATM or a payment card, I do try to always cover the pin pad and people go well if there's nobody standing around why would you do that and every time I'm entering my pin I look around I just take a gander and I, I always see at least two or three security cameras pointed down at the payment terminal I'm using and I'm thinking who has access to these cameras and who would have my pin if I didn't cover my hand you know my pin entry fingers the other thing I always do uh, whether it's a terminal in a shop or an ATM is follow the advice of fiscal the fraud fighting ferret grab hold of it and give it a wiggle. A lot of the add-on stuff that the crooks use can only really be glued on in public, so it often gives itself a way that although it looks right, it's kind of obviously been added on afterwards. Absolutely, and, and, and more, I guess most importantly, no matter what technology you're using, keep an eye on your, on your statements for anything unusual because it's impossible to prevent fraud 100% of the time, and when it occurs, if you report it to your bank in good faith, most of the time we hear positive outcomes with banks taking care of their customers and, and that's the key. So Chester, thinking about how perfect is the enemy of good makes me think of social networks and all the people who love to say, oh well, Facebook's terrible, but then they don't give up their account. Social networks are on the agenda, virus bulletin. Um, what, what sort of stuff have you learned about social networks, privacy, protection, security, that sort of stuff? Well, certainly, uh, you know, Facebook is a perennial topic for, for people in security and non-security business. And, you know, we love to talk about all the information we're being encouraged to share. And But uh, let's be honest here. I mean, at least they've got a pretty good track record of actually protecting that information. Now, the controls haven't always been there in a way that the uh, Facebook user community has embraced. They, they always want more control. People still apparently desire a dislike button, leading many people into, into troubled waters. <laughs> oh, dear. It just never <laughs> stops, does it? No, no, and I'm, I'm sure on February 30th, uh, <laughs> Facebook's going to shut down again oh, in 2016. No. As you say, sometimes you can't stop the stupid, but the truth is, I think they're doing a pretty good job of it, and um, that's not going to convince me to necessarily sign up, but, uh, you know, I don't really understand all the whinging. I think, uh, I think these companies have invested heavily in security and seem to be taking it very seriously. Well, that's one of the reasons, Chester, that uh, it being Cyber Security Awareness Month, uh, and the fifth year of Stop, Think, Connect. We wrote that up on Naked Security and as a way of sort of countering the detractors who 
perhaps understandably say, oh, well, it's just the government spending taxpayers' money giving us advice, the same advice for the fifth year in a row that if we were going to take it, we would have taken it five years ago. It's a waste of time. We decided to write that up and say, look, here are five good news stories. Actually, we cheated slightly. One of them is a bad news story about poor password choice. But four of them are positive things that have happened in the last five years that we can all feel pretty good about. No, we're not there yet. No, it's not perfect. But I guess we're, we're taking a leaf out of Voltaire's book. Yeah, and I, I disagree about the, uh, the repeating of advice because I don't think the advice is necessarily static. While there are certainly pieces of advice that never change, like as long as we're dependent on passwords as authentication, they should be strong. There's also things that are changing because, you know, as security experts, I think sometimes we forget that the general public is probably five years behind those of us in the know. Their idea of what it is to be safe online is lagging behind the sophistication of the criminals most often. And so for, for us to have a mouthpiece for a couple weeks a year to remind people of some of the newer things, the things that have changed or the misconceptions people have about security, hopefully can reduce that gap from maybe five years behind security people to hopefully maybe just a few months. Well, one of the examples of the things that we thought for Cybersecurity Awareness Month that has got a lot better in the last five years is the acceptance, public acceptance, of a technology like two-factor authentication. And there is a virus bulletin connection in this because it was nine years ago in 2006, I gave a paper at VB uh, called Can Strong Authentication Sort Out Phishing and Fraud? And, of course, the paper started by saying, well, the short answer is no, it can't, but here's how it can make it a lot better. And interestingly, in that paper, I hardly got a chance to mention two-factor authentication. Uh, very few organizations like banks were actually offering it. And one of the reasons was not economic. It was the fact that users said, this is too much of a hassle. I'm not interested. And my golly, how that has changed. Absolutely. We, we've come a long way. And, um, you know, there's, there's been a lot of interesting things here at the conference. Uh, our colleague James White presented on banking malware and kind of discussed a little bit of uh, both what we can learn from what's in banking malware to make uh, a better anti-malware technology, but also, uh, unfortunately, talking a little bit about how even though there was some major uh, uh, criminal networks that had the command and control, for example, for banking Trojans shut down, as usual, nature abhors a vacuum, right? And, and other new malware strains have sort of stepped up to the plight to take the place of those ones that were shut down by law enforcement. And, uh, of course, they're learning from their mistakes as well, which is why we have to perpetually stay on guard. Uh, another really interesting talk I was at this morning from a researcher from Kaspersky Labs talked about some of the ethics of uh, hunting all this advanced government malware and, and how maybe uh, we need to think more carefully about that in our business as well because uh, all of our mandate is typically to, to block all unwanted code, but uh, how much information do you disclose when you're blocking that code and, and are there you know, ethical boundaries there? So there's some really interesting topics here, not just all about technology, but about the humanity involved in technology. Yes, on a very, very simple level, we had that the other day where I wrote an article uh, based on research by Sophos Labs about the rise of pure play, macro-based word malware, so not exploits, just VBA in macros. And I put in a list of sites. Now, this was a, a kind of a retrospective article. So these sites should long have been blocked by security products. So, of course, I put the URLs in as images. 
so that it wouldn't trigger anybody's mail or web scanners and get them in trouble with IT. And it was surprising that someone said, why did you do that? Why did you do that? I want to be able to cut and paste those out because I can use them for something. Now I have to sit and type them in. And, you know, there were maybe 10 or 20 of them. I'm kind of thinking sometimes, my friend, you have to take one for the team, particularly if it's a very small one. <laughs> exactly. Well, uh, being that I'm at the conference, I need to run back downstairs and, and uh, finish up the remaining day here at VBM Prague. So... Maybe we can wrap up this podcast, and then next week when we do the chat chat again, uh, I'll be coming to you from Brussels. And while I'm in Brussels, we can do the regular chat chat and catch up on the week's news. Excellent. And uh, by then you will have digested and acted on all the great stuff you've learned. Uh, well, let's say maybe I'll have digested it. I, I don't want to overcommit myself to having to take action quite so fast. No, you've got five years, Chester. You've got five years. <laughs> Well, uh, that concludes Office Security Chat Chat 216 and a half. As always, for all of our podcasts, visit nakedsecurity.sophos.com or soundcloud.com slash sophosecurity. And until next time, stay secure. <laughs>